This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Welcome. We had a little change. I just got a text from Don McIntosh. He was going to go first. I was going to go second. So he's having a little uh, delay. So we're going to flip around, and that's okay. First of all, welcome everybody to Medical Missionary Work, The Present, Present Truth. Um, We're going to be talking about some amazing things that God has in plan for all of us as far as God's final message involving medical missionary work. Now today, if you will, John's talk, actually you'll be hearing it next hour, and so we're kind of, like I said, we're flipping it around, but John's talk, his first talk was specifically on why the disciples were able to turn the world upside down for Jesus. And how? And my aspect is from the perspective of how you can turn the world upside down for Jesus in a very short period of time. But what I'm going to be doing is actually looking at my personal testimony, and we're going to be looking at it from the perspective of the from going from sin-loving or self-pleasing and sin-loving to God's plan. Again, looking at it from... Um, from my personal testimony. Now, the reason you may be wondering why in the world are we talking about personal testimonies, we're here to talk about medical missionary work, right? Well, actually, personal conversion has to happen first before we can expect to convert anybody else. Is that correct? Is that correct, brothers and sisters? Amen, amen. I like to be a little bit energetic, so if I get energetic, bear with me. But um, we want to be able to be personally converted for Jesus in order to win others for Jesus. So if I can take my three, so we have six talks total. Of the three that I'm giving, if I could give you like the forest for the trees, the first one I would say is trust, pray, and obey. The second is perseverance. And the third is press together, press together, press together. And what I found by God's grace is these three principles, if you will, are not only in personal conversion, but also for mass medical missionary work as well. And we're going to be looking at that today. Again, it's trust, pray, and obey. Well, before we get started, first of all, I didn't even introduce myself. I'm Leela Lewis. I'm an obstetrician and gynecologist. I practice in um, Southern California. Um, and I have four children. And my husband um, is here as well, Dr. Chris Lewis. Before we get going, I'd like to actually stop and have a word of prayer and ask God's blessing on this talk and also that we would all be inspired to share Christ wherever he would have us to share him. So let's actually um, you don't, uh, go ahead and pray. Dear Father in heaven, I ask that you would please bless this talk. I ask that you would please give me the words to say and that I would lift you up and that you would be glorified, we pray, in our lives and our personal testimonies and also as we, w- we wish to share you with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, this quote I wanted to share with you, it actually encompasses all six topics, if you will. The, the titles that are actually in your booklet are a little bit different than what Don and I will be going over. But this is actually a quote I felt that really encompassed all six parts in one quote from evangelism. It is the divine plan that we shall work as the disciples worked. This is the, the topic that Don will be giving you next hour. He's going to show you how the disciples were, again, able to turn the world upside down for Jesus in one generation. Connected, how did they do this? How were they able to turn the world upside down? Connected with the divine healer 
not them, but we too may do a great good in the world. The gospel is the only antidote for sin. What's the worst disease of all? Sin. Sin is the worst disease of all. So the only, go- the only antidote or the only cure, if you will, for sin, the worst disease of all, is the gospel. As Christ's witnesses, which is what each and every one of us wish to be, we are to bear testimony to its power. To what's power? To the gospel's power. So you and I are to be living testimonies, if you will, of the gospel. That's the way we are able, as the disciples were, to turn the world upside down for Jesus. That is the essence of today's talk, the one right now, part two and part four. In order to bear witness to the testimony of its power, we must have a personal living testimony in ourselves. We are to bring the afflicted ones to the Savior. Whose transforming grace? Is it ours? No, it's Jesus's. His transforming grace and miracle-working power will win many souls. How many? Many. We just recently saw that in the Bay Area by God's grace. We're going to be talking about that a little bit later. And that's parts three and five. We're going to be giving you miracle stories after miracle stories after miracle stories. How many of you like miracle stories? I love miracle stories. If anything gets me energized, it's God's power. And we're going to be showing some amazing, amazing miracles that God has done over the last year in medical missionary work. His healing power, God's healing power, united what? With what? The gospel message. So it's the medical missionary work combined with what? The gospel message, which is all about part six of this series, will bring success. How do we have success? When we unify, right? When we unify, when we press together, press together, press together. The Holy Spirit will work upon hearts and we shall see the salvation of God. So that's just kind of an overview over the next um, five topics. Again, for those of you who just came in, a living testimony, I believe, is required in order for us as we wish to turn the world upside down for God. So again, this is my personal testimony. This is my personal story. And again, for the forest, for the trees, if I could take the whole talk over the next hour, it would be to say, trust, obey, and pray. Trust, pray, and obey. Now, before I get started on my testimony, there are a couple disclaimers that I like to say as far as testimonies are concerned. Sometimes when you hear a testimony... There is a tendency, at least as I've heard some speakers, there's a tendency to almost feel as though there's kind of a glorification of of sin. I don't know if you've ever heard anything like that in testimonies. And you almost get the feeling sometimes, at various times I've heard this, that the individual is almost reliving the sinful life that they may have lived before. So by God's grace, I've prayed earnestly that that is not the case and that will not be displayed here today. There's also another problem that sometimes happens in testimonies. Sometimes if an individual doesn't have what they view as a dramatic testimony, you know, like living an entire life filled with sin, and then they've come out and they've given their hearts over to God, praise God for that. But for those of us who maybe haven't lived that kind of a life, There's almost the tendency or the temptation to feel like, well, I don't really have a testimony to give. So um, that's not the case either because we've been given full evidence from uh, Paul to Timothy where he says, I know you've known the gospel since you were a little child and you have a testimony to give of God's grace and his power as well. We can also learn from others' mistakes, correct? 
We don't have to you know, actually perform those mistakes ourselves. We can learn from others' mistakes, just as this poor polar bear, he missed the sign, watched the ice, he missed it, he slipped and fell. Well, the other polar bear doesn't have to miss the sign as well and slip and fall, right? We can learn from others' mistakes. And by God's grace, that is what I'm wishing to do today. Now, why is individual conversion so important? We already talked about this a little bit, but individual conversion is absolutely imperative. How can we, again, how can we share, how can we expect others to get excited for God if we're not personally living a living testimony for Him? Mission to the cities. Again, this is exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about mass medical evangelism, mission to the cities. Listen to what God through Ellen White has inspired us um, through this statement. They, you and I, should not present the truth in words merely. Look what's coming out of this guy's mouth. It's a what? It's a dove, but what's in his mouth? A snake. So he's not really living what he's, you know, preaching. So we should not present the truth in words merely, but by a circumspect life, by being a living representative of the truth. We want a living testimony to be able to share with those around us. So some of you may be wondering, well, why in the world are we talking about from self-pleasing and sin-loving to God's plan. We're all here at GYC, right? We're all converted by God's grace. We're here to share Christ with those around us. Is it really something that we need to be talking about or concerned about for committed Seventh-day Adventist young people? And I would say, well, Paul has warned Timothy. Again, who was Timothy? He was converted from his youth, correct? He was an on-fire young person, right? He also warns him in the same book. In Timothy, he says, you know what? Know this also, in the last days, which we believe is now, in the last days, bad things are going to happen. And you're going to be reading about them in your newspapers. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unkind. Again, it sounds like you're listening to the news. Truth breakers, without natural affection, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those who are good, traitors, he high-minded. This is the key right here. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. What are they? What are sometimes we're even tempted to be? Lovers of pleasure, of ourselves, rather than lovers of God. And this is not just to the atheists. This isn't just to the Buddhists. This says having a form of godliness, but denying what? The power of God, the, 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 the power of God, the grace for him to transform our lives. So this is to us Christians we have the possibility of being so excited about self-pleasing and self-loving that we may even miss out on what God wants us to do, which is to have the power of Jesus in our hearts, transforming us from the inside out. So I would say in answer to the question of should SDA young people, GYC young people on fire for God, can we possibly be tempted with the allures of Satan, the little temptations to have pleasure? And I would say yes. But by God's grace, we have his power and his grace to overcome sin. Well, I'm going to go ahead and get started in my testimony at, that, at this point, just talking again how I was allured by Satan. Okay? I was born in the mission field. I was a daughter of a Seventh-day Adventist um, couple. My father was the hospital administrator of one of our largest Seventh-day Adventist hospitals in Ghana, West Africa. At the time, it was the West African Indian Ocean Division. I grew up in Sabbath school. My grandma caught Sabbath school for 50-some years. I knew the Bible, and I don't say this proudly, but I knew the Bible pretty much better than any of my classmates. I could answer all the Bible questions. I knew all the right answers to all the right questions. 
I love Jesus. This is a picture of my mom. That's baby me in Africa, and that was a little girl that my parents were trying to adopt in Africa. From my earliest years, I knew I wanted to be a missionary physician. At the age of six, I decided I was going to be a physician. Now, nobody in my family was a physician. My mom was a nurse. Like I said, my dad was a hospital administrator. But I knew God was calling me to be a missionary physician. By the age of 10, I knew I was going to be an obstetrician. I just felt this is what God wanted me to do. There were certain sins, if you will, that I never were tempted with. I just wasn't tempted with them. But I have a question for you. Does Satan know what temptations will get you versus me? Are they the same temptations? No, they're different, right? He knows your great-great-grandmother, and he knows my great-great-grandmother and great-great-grandfather, and he knows what inherited tendencies I have and what cultivated tendencies I've already tendencies towards, right? And so he knows what sins are going to get me and not going to get you. Well, somehow I got the idea that because I would never consider certain sins, somehow that kind of lifted me up to a different rung, if you will. And so I thought I was going to fight evil the best I could. I went all the way through elementary school, all the way through academy, all the way through college. In fact, in college, I was fighting the evil around me. In fact, it was so much so, and I'm not going to say which college this was. Again, I went through entirely Seventh-day Adventist education. They were going to sell part of our, our college campus to a, essentially to a golf course with slash winery. And I was, oh, this is never going to take place. I'm going to fight this. I'm going to fight this to the extreme. But I was doing all this fighting on my own. I didn't have a personal daily walk with Jesus on my own. I wasn't reading the Bible. As we heard last night, I wasn't leaning on Jesus personally. I had this knowledge, if you will, but not a personal conviction of my own. And as a result, I didn't have what? I didn't have something around me. I didn't have the armor of God. Instead, I had something inside of me. I'm I'm strong, right? Am I able to fight against Satan? No. Am I going to win against Satan? Absolutely not. Paul tells us so very clearly. Brethren, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against Satan. I can't stand on Satan against Satan on my own. No way. Because I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not like I can fight it out with some person. We wrestle against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness of this age. High powers, Satan and his, and his hosts. Therefore, take on the whole armor of God that how, that what may happen, that I can withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, what do I do once I've done? I put on God's, not by my power, but by God's power, putting on the armor of God. Then stand. Don't back up. Stand. And we're going to talk about that in number six, perseverance. Stand, stand therefore, girded with the waist of truth, your belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. We heard about that last night. Putting on your feet shoes, shoes of the gospel of peace, and then take up the shield of faith. And we're going to talk about faith as well, that you may be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which I was missing, and pray. What is it? Trust Pray and obey. Trust, pray, and obey. Take on prayer and the supplication of the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance, part six, and supplication for the saints. So I had not done that. I didn't have the gospel of peace on my feet. I didn't have shoes. I didn't have the right shoes. I didn't have the right warfare, if you will. And I was just like this penguin. 
about to slip and slide to my destruction. Without a living faith in Christ as a personal Savior, if we don't have him personally in our hearts, we're going to fail. We're going to fail, brothers and sisters, and that is what happens to me. And coming back to the medical missionary work, it's impossible to make our faith felt in a skeptical world if we don't have God's shoes on our feet, if we don't have that gospel on our own feet. We would, if you would draw sinners like we all wish to do, out of the swift running current of this world, this awful world, this swift running, I can't grab a hold of somebody if my feet are sliding down the, the slippery slope, right? I can't do it. And as a result, we want to be more effective for Jesus. So again, I had a chink in my armor. I had a chink in my armor. I didn't have Bible study on a daily basis. I didn't have prayer of my own. And I started slipping. And how did I start slipping? Now, before I get started, brothers and sisters, I want to say this very clearly. The change that I made, and I tell this in all, whether this is medical missionary work conversations, whether this is salvation issues, whatever it is, the change that God brings about in our life today is not going to be tomorrow's change. It's not going to be the next day's change. It's not going to be the next day's change. Why? We heard about this last night. We're going to be learning for eternity. God is going to keep teaching us and teaching us. We never have to be worried that we're going to uh, be bored with what he has in store for us. So let's just keep that in mind as, as I'm telling you from my heart, my personal testimony. So I slipped. I had a poor choice of friends, particularly in academy. I, I started choosing friends that were not believing as I believed and doing things as, uh, as I had been taught, again, not reading for myself, I began going to the movie theater. And I had been told as a child, oh, don't go to the theaters. It's okay to watch the movies at home. Just don't go to the theaters because that's a bad place. And so I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense to my young mind. I'm going to go ahead and start going to the theaters. So I started watching movies in the theaters. I started listening to music that God would not have me to listen to. And I began to slip and slip and slip. Now, in the meantime, as I started to, you know, when you start to do something wrong that God, you know God doesn't want you to do it. The Holy Spirit is always right there to tell you, think about this. Is this really something that you want to do? You begin to feel the guilt that comes along with sin, correct? And so I had some guilt, and I would say things like, I don't know if these kinds of things are what God would have me to watch, these kinds of things are God would have me to do, these kinds of things God would have me to go to. And so people would say things like, there's a non-slippery slope ahead. <laughs> Not really. But what they would say, in essence, was these things don't really matter. Movies, music, it only affects those people who are weak. It's not going to affect you if you're strong. You can watch what you want to watch. It's, it's only for weak people that it really affects. And I believe that those are devilish arguments because it truly does make a difference. The Bible tells us what? By what? By beholding. What does that mean? By what? By watching, by looking, by listening to, we become Changed. We can become changed into good, or we can be changed more towards Satan and bad. And that is exactly what happened to me. And that's exactly what we read in volume three of the testimonies. The literature, or I would put in parentheses, movies, that proceeds from a corrupted intellect poisons the minds of thousands in our world. Sin does not appear exceedingly sinful anymore. They hear and read so much of debasing crime and violence that the once tender conscience that used to be oh, abhorred 
by what was being seen. And I saw that in my own life. I started out by watching, quote, the innocent movies, right? The innocent things. And things that initially would, oh, I couldn't possibly watch such and such, but I'll watch other things. I gradually became more and more accustomed and to the point where I finally found myself in a most despicable situation. We'll talk about that in just a minute. How does this happen? How do, is, is science been shown that we can actually have a change in our mind by what we watch, by what we hear? It is true. It is very true. In fact, this study you can read. I just downloaded this study from 12-22-2014. Straight out, you can read where the, where the reference is. There is a direct influence on the frontal lobe. The frontal lobe, as most of us are aware, is where we make decisions. Decisions for right or wrong. Decisions of concentration, self-control. There's another section of the brain. And it's not a bad section. We need emotion. God gave us emotion so that we can love others. But... It also, this limbic system, kind of the side sections of our brain, is where we have our emotion center. Now, the emotion center also results in anger, hostility, depression, anger, aggression, impulsive behavior. All of these things are affected by the amygdala part of the limbic system. Now, what studies have shown, this particular study, which I found to be absolutely amazing, just came out of Indiana University. They took young people. So we're all, well, I'm not so young anymore. But, but they took young people and they exposed them to one week. How long? One week. One week of violent media. Now, I ask you a question. I would be very hard pressed to find media, particularly movies and television, that doesn't even, that at least doesn't have an innuendo of violence, okay? So what they did is they took one week, Dr. Yang Wang, and he, at Indiana University, exposed them to violent media. At the end of, and at the beginning of the week, before they started this violent media study, they took MRIs of the brain of these young people. At the end of the week, after being exposed to all this violent media, they took MRIs of the brain again, and guess what they found? Yes, it's amazing. I, I find it amazing. Of course, we shouldn't be surprised. The Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy has already told us this, but it was very amazing. The frontal lobe actually shrinked or decreased in size or effectivity, if you will, of the, of the contrast of the MRI. And in its place, the amygdala specifically, part of the limbic system, significantly increased or enhanced in contrast. It was it actually increased in size because the blood flow was so increased in the amygdala portion of, this, of these brains. It is unbelievable. So the reason that all these studies are coming out is because you and I turn on the news or you know, we, we read about it on the newspapers and we see these young people killing kids, right? You read about high school shootings, college shootings, strange, crazy things. You read about, get this one, we just recently, what was it, a year and a half ago, someone was in a theater watching a horrible movie, and what did he do? He starts shooting everybody in the theater, right? Well, why is it happening? Why is it happening? Because by beholding, we become changed, scientifically changed. And some may ask, well, what about innocent media? Like I... Oh, my, like I was told, it's okay, you know, those things only affect the weak. You can watch the innocent aspects and it's not going to affect you. Well, multiple studies are coming out now. Virginia Tech, University of Alabama, McCary University, they're pulling, at, they're actually making recommendations to parents. Watch out. 
Watch out for even what we quote unquote call innocent media. So coming back to my testimony, I had slipped and I was slipping and slipping until the point I found myself, and I tell you this because I've told very few this, I found myself my senior year of high school sitting in a theater with my friends watching one of the most despicable movies you can ever imagine. Now again, I don't believe in saying names of movies and conjuring up other people's memories, but what I can tell you was it was so wicked. It was so horrible that within the first eight minutes of the, of the video, I was scared. I had a coat on. I had all my friends sitting around me. I had a coat on with a hood, and I felt, I, I say this honestly, I felt Satan's presence in that room, and I was scared. I was so afraid someone was going to kill me in that theater because this movie was so horrible. It just felt dark and black, and I took... I was so young and so um, non, I didn't have the armor of God and the strength of God and so unsettled in my truth. Instead of jumping up and saying, Lord Jesus, help me, run out and call mom and dad and say, I put myself in an, un, an unsafe situation. Will you please come and get me? I was so scared of what my friends would think. I was so scared of what my parents would think. I didn't get up. And so instead, I took the hood, and it sounds so silly, I took the hood of my coat, I pulled my coat down, I put my fingers in my ears, and I just sat there for two hours praying to God. I said, Lord Jesus, if you get me out of here, I promise, I promise I'll never, ever put myself in this kind of situation again. Please help me, dear Jesus. Please help me. Get me out of here. And by God's grace, I obviously was not killed that night, praise God, as you can tell. Um, but I made a promise. I said, I will put no wicked thing before my eyes anymore, Lord God, if you get me out of here. But something happened. I made a promise. I meant it. But something else didn't happen. What did I not do? I didn't put the belt of truth on. I didn't put the armor of God on. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to go fight Satan on my own, right? I'm going to go take him on. I knew it was wrong. I experienced his wickedness in that room but I didn't put his armor on. And so how am I going to win? So yet again, I was left defenseless with no armor, no living life of Jesus within me. And as a result, guess what happened to me? Back to the mire I went. No firm anchor, back to the mire. The dog has turned to his vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. So what happened? I now find myself in college. I started slipping again, back into the movies, back into the music, back into all these things that the Lord did not, would ha not have me to do. And this time, what happens when the man leaves his house, the, the, the devil leaves, and then what happens after that? If he doesn't fill it with Christ's righteousness, what does the Bible say will happen? More are going to come. You are in a bad path if you put yourself into that situation, and there is where I found myself. Now I'm in college, and I'm exposed to all kinds of ideas, all kinds of philosophies. I was in the honors program, and so in the honors program, it is, encompasses Greek mythology and um, Augustine and all these Catholic authors, and I was exposed to theistic evolution, and my mind began to think, oh, maybe I haven't been taught everything that was right after all. There is more to learn thinking as though I could be Eve knowing good, you know, more than God, right? So I began to question the goodness of God, the foreknowledge of God. Theistic evolution became part of my life. And here I find myself very, very depressed 
Because as I would, some, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you there. He, he, while there is breath, there is what? While there is breath, there is what? Hope. We don't, have to believe, we don't have to be afraid that Jesus has left us abandoned no matter how far we've gone from Jesus. Jesus can save us, correct? If we confess our sins, he's what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins but not leave us there, right? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But nonetheless, Satan would say things like this to me. You've gone too far. You've gone too far. Jesus isn't going to take you back. Jesus isn't going to take you back. And again, not having my knowledge, my armor, my truth. I didn't have it. I wasn't reading it for myself. And so I couldn't say, no, Satan. It is written. I couldn't say that because I didn't know it in my own heart. And so I became depressed, very depressed. I entered medical school my freshman year in medical school. I barely got through the first quarter. I was depressed, brothers and sisters. I, and, I, and looking back, I know now why I was so depressed. At the time, I couldn't quite figure out why I was depressed. But what was happening? My frontal lobe had done what? Shrunk, and what had taken its place? The amygdala. And we know now from science that what, what happens in the amygdala? It's depression. It's emotion center, right? I wasn't making good decisions for Jesus. And so, in Lovell Linda Medical School, I began to realize I am dissatisfied with this, this religious thing. I, I can't figure out what's going on. I'm dissatisfied with my complacence. I want something more. There has to be something more. There must be something more. And I became so, so confused. And what got me the most confused is we had quite a number of non-Adventists in our class. And this is the first time I had really been exposed, if you will, to non-Adventists. I had gone through the Adventist education system since grade one all the way through residency, in fact. And so this was really the first time I had been exposed to non-Adventists. Well, these particular non-Adventists had decided that they were going to convert many of us that may be questioning that we were thinking wrong as far as the Bible and the spirit of prophecy was concerned. So I remember driving one of my friends, one of these non-Adventist friends, to the airport. And on the way there, he had his Bible in hand, and he was showing me verse after verse after verse, what I seemed to say that the, the, the Sabbath was not the Sabbath. Well, of course, we know now, I know now, after having been able to gird myself with the armor of God, that he was just misquoting scripture and taking it out of context. But at the time, I said, Whew, well, well, I don't know. And he would just show me another one. I don't know. But, but something happened. Instead of saying, well, maybe you're right, I had been trained. What does the Bible say about training up a child? What does the Bible say? Train up a child in the what? In the way he should go or she should go and when what? When they are old, they will not depart from it. Brothers and sisters, mommies and daddies, aunties and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, if you see your children going the wrong way, don't give up on them. You've trained them in the right way. Jesus will bring them back. And so I'm sitting there as these gen this gentleman is telling me verse after verse and the only answer, and again, I'm ashamed to say it, but the only answer I could give the young man was, well, well, it must not be true because that's not what I was taught when I was young. Well, of course, that's not the right answer, but by God's grace, I knew there must be something more. And so I pled with God. I began to pray. I began to say, Lord, help me. I want something more. There has to be something more. Give me something more. Well, one committed person. How many people can, can turn the world upside down? One. You could be that one person that could turn the world upside down for somebody else. You can do that. 
You could be that one person. Into my life in medical school as a friend walks this bouncy guy with, in fact, when I met him, this is Chris. He's sitting in the back. Doesn't exactly look like himself now, but uh, <laughs> uh, he had hair. When I first met him, his hair was to his shoulders, okay? He had a tie-dye shirt on, cut-off pants, flip-flops with big giant flowers on them, and he comes bouncing into medical school, you know, whoop-de-doo, you know, here I am, and I'm just like, who is this guy? I mean, this guy is... You know, he's a little bit different. And I, I was, um, you know, I always had my idea of what, uh, what my future husband would be, you know, the, um, clean cut and all these kinds of things, right? So, so here comes this bouncy guy. But as I would talk to him, something different, so there was something different that I didn't have. There was conversion. I had not seen this before. There was a commitment to Jesus and Jesus alone, and he wanted to do everything by God's grace, everything he could to follow Jesus. He himself had just come and given his heart to Jesus just recently, and I apologize, honey, I'm going to give just a snippet of your testimony. So when he was in college, similar to me, he began the same process, the same similar process, and brothers and sisters, it's happening to our young people, it's happening to a lot of us over and over again. So again, friends, music, movies, Satan had a different path for him. I got me into philosophy and all these kinds of strange things. For him, drugs, alcohol, women, raves, dancing, all the nine, all the things of sin-loving, self-pleasing, right? To fill that amygdala with to fill up the position, what we would think of as our frontal lobe. And so he got onto all these things, and one night, for him, God removed his hand of protection. But before that happened, let me back up one sentence. When he was in academy, this is an inspiration to all of us, when he was in academy, his academy teacher gave him a Bible and inscripted it on there, Chris Lewis. This is a you know, present for you. He had never read it. It just you know, stuffed in some drawer. Well, this particular night when God removed his hands of protection just slightly and allowed him to see what a mess he had got himself into and that he was in the devil's playground, he looked over at his bedside table and there sat that Bible and he grabbed that Bible up and began to read that Bible on a day-to-day -day and night-to-night -night basis and it didn't end just there. Another academy teacher had given him the great controversy and he began to read that in combination with the Bible and he was becoming a changed man from the inside out. So two things we can learn from that. Number one, never judge a bad boy or a bad girl as, as hopeless, right? We should never judge a bad boy or a bad girl as hopeless because Jesus knows the heart, correct? And Jesus has a plan in his time, in his way. That's number one. Number two, we can be assured that Christ will save us and we should never judge the book by its cover, right? We don't know what's taking place on the inside. When I met Chris and he was bouncy, bouncy Chris with hair down to here and looking all funny, I thought, um, God was working in him, and in him I saw something I had never seen before, a giving up of sin no matter what. Not because I can, like, I can overcome by my power. No, it was because Jesus wants me to give these things up because I want to be like him. I want to be with him. I don't want to have anything separate me from him. And so what I saw in this situation is if Jesus could save him, maybe he could save me. Maybe I have hope too. Chris became that one person to turn my world upside down just by a living, what? 
testimony, a living testimony, and I began to have rays of hope in my life, maybe I too can become converted. Maybe I too can become excited about living for Jesus. There has to be something more. There must be something more. And I remember I started reading my Bible. Now, it was hard at first. It didn't seem like the regular movies. And I didn't give up movies right away, by the way. God, again, works on us step by step. The change we make today by his power is what? It's not tomorrow's change. It's what? It's not the next day's change. It's not the next day's change. It's not the next day's change until we go closer and closer to Jesus. And I remember one day I was in the shower and another song popped into my head. I had been reading my Bible every day and that little song from Crater Roll in kindergarten, read your Bible, pray every day, and what? And you'll grow, grow, grow. And I began to sing it and sing it louder in the shower. As it, and I just was crying, dear Jesus, these principles, these things I learned as a child, they are true, but I must live them myself. And transformation began from the inside, what? Out. Maybe you might not necessarily notice it just looking at me. But Jesus was working on my heart. And just as the chrysalis begins, not very beautiful at all, correct? Not very pretty. But he develops into a beautiful monarch. The transformation of the heart means an entire change of the entire man. Except a man or woman be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, Christ declared. This change of heart is unseen. You can't see it, for it is an inward work. And yet, or but, it is seen because it works outside from within. By their what? By their fruits what? You shall know them. Jesus promises that he will change us from the inside out into his beauty, from glory unto glory. I began to read the spirit of prophecy as I had, I mean, I had never read it before, right? I grew up. I had been read, people had read it to me, and I thought, oh, this is boring when I was young. But now it was like a gem I had found, and I was so excited, I couldn't put it down. I began reading the testimonies. These were exciting things, and I read things such as this. Dear youth, you are now deciding your own destiny. I was deciding my own destiny. You must put persistent effort. How much effort? Persistent. It's not our power. It's Jesus' power. But we desire to become closer and closer and closer, persistently closer to him in my Christian walk. If you would perfect a right character, it will be to your eternal life, eternal loss, sorry, if you have a dwarfed, weekly, babyish religious experience, which is what I had, right? I was living on other people's experience. I had a babyish experience. You are to be complete in Jesus. As therefore you have received Christ Jesus your Lord, so walk you in him. I was becoming a changed life practically from the inside out. I was able to have joy again, which I had not experienced. I was ecstatic for what Jesus was teaching me, and he wanted to teach me more. And guess what? He wants to teach me more now, and he wants to teach you more, and he wants to teach us all more and more and more as we go closer and closer to him. As we near the close of time, which, by the way, I don't know, how many of you think we're nearing the close of time? Oh, you're so quiet. How many of you think, brothers and sisters, that we're ending Earth's history very soon? Amen. I believe Jesus is about to come back. So what is our commission? We must rise higher 
and higher still on the question of health reform and Christian temperance, presenting it in a more positive and decided manner. We must strive continually to educate the people. Again, what's the principle? Not by our words only. How can we preach something that we don't believe and live ourselves, right? But by our practice, precept and practice combined have a telling influence. And again, Jesus began to continue to work on my heart. And now he was drawing me into other areas. I didn't want anything to separate me from Jesus. I want to get back to where I was coming from music and movies. One night, and I'm not going to give you the specifics, but one night Jesus made it crystal clear to me. I had been reading my Bible. I had been reading the spirit of prophecy. I had been doing evangelism. I was on fire for God but I was still going back to my movies, just the innocent ones, right? Just to give myself some self-pleasure, just to kind of get out of the mode. And one night, Jesus made it crystal clear to me that this was not what he would have me to do. Why? Because it was separating me from becoming closer and closer to him. And I said, that's the end. I'm done. Persistent decision, I'm done. I took all my movies, I took all my videos, and I threw them in the dumpster by God's grace and all the music with it. All the bad music, that is. <laughs> we have Fountain View Academy and other wonderful academies for some beautiful music. But anyway, so, which improve our frontal lobe. So anyway, so coming back to temperance, I began to start to think, you know what? I was studying in school, and as I was studying in medical school, in my um, psychiatry courses, they were telling us about the gateway drug. Now, how many of you have heard of the gateway drug? It's on my screen, but what is the gateway drug? Science is now showing us that the gateway drug is actually caffeine and theobromine. There's a whole ton of studies out there as far as this is concerned. But coming back to the frontal lobe, again, the frontal lobe is where we can make decisions for good, making right decisions, making, uh, actually, it's where the Holy Spirit speaks to us if you read the spirit of prophecy. But nonetheless, and the amygdala, of course, is where we get emotion centers. Well, studies have shown very clearly that the stimulants, but not just the stimulants, marijuana, um, alcohol, nicotine, uh, all these things actually significantly affect the frontal lobe. Well, the gateway drug to some of these more uh, difficult or awful drugs that we think of as awful is actually caffeine. And I read that straight out of my textbook in medical school. And I began to think, hmm, if the gateway drug is caffeine, and I know scientifically that the other stimulants significantly affect the frontal lobe, and studies are now showing, and by the way, studies are showing very clearly that caffeine and theobromine directly affect the frontal lobe. In fact, this study just came out. It acts specifically on dopamine receptors, um, much the same as stimulant drugs such as amphetamines and cocaine that's taken straight from January 1, 2009, drug and alcohol dependence. So it's definitely scientific. But from a personal conviction perspective, I started thinking, you know what? If it's going to affect my relationship with Jesus, I don't want that in my body anymore. Now, I didn't drink coffee, but I did drink Mountain Dew and Dr. Pepper and a few other little things, and I did it to stay awake, right? I'm in medical school. I'm about to go into OBGYN, and by the way, at that time in the OBGYN residency, in fact, most residencies had no work hour weeks, so I was actually working 136 plus hours a week. I would be on call for 36 hours straight. I would go home for eight hours, and of those 36 hours, no sleep. I'd go home for eight hours, try to get some sleep back on for 36 hours more. And so I, you know, I need to stay awake, right? And so I began to think, you know what? If this is going to affect my relationship with Jesus, 
I don't think I want it in my body. I don't think that's something that I really want to have in my body. And so I couldn't give it up, though. I, I, I thought, well, I'm not going to give it up. And so this one particular day, my husband and I went to a restaurant. Now, my husband, again, where you may be on your ladder of walking with Jesus, because today's step is what? Oh, guys, we're asleep. Today's step is what? It's not tomorrow's step and what? Not the next day's step and what? Not the next day's step. And you know what? My step today is not your step, right? You, we're all on different walks with Jesus, and it's not my, I'm not the one to judge you, and you're not the one to judge me. We're walking with Jesus and Jesus alone, right? So, um, so my husband, we're at this restaurant, and he was on his walk, and I was on my walk, and he'd already given up uh, caffeine and theobromine and, you know, by the way, the theobromine and chocolate. And he'd, all, he'd given all these things away already to Jesus, and they came around with the little chocolate candies at the table. And again, I'm telling you my personal conviction. This is not me telling you what you should or shouldn't do. This is me telling you what Jesus convicted me of. And so I'm sitting there at this table, and there's these little chocolates that come around. And I go to reach up and grab my little piece of chocolate, okay? And my husband goes, at this time we'd been married, and he goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm doing what I want to do. What are you doing? <laughs> and so I was kind of offended. I thought to myself, how dare he tell me what to do? I got my little, you know, I'm in charge of me, and you're not in charge of me, and I'll make my own decisions, thank you very much. Well, that's not Christ-like, correct? But that's what I was doing. And so when I got home that evening, I said, I'll show him. I'm going to go get myself a Mountain Dew, I'll show him. So I went and got myself a Mountain Dew, and I took a drink when he wasn't looking, and I put it back in the fridge, and I was like, ha, now I won. So that night, I went to sleep, and I tell you from my heart, Jesus showed me very, very clearly that that is not what he would want me to do, that that was separating me from him and would continue to separate me from him, and that is not what I wanted. And I woke up, and I said, dear Lord, I said, dear Lord, I'm not going to tell you the specifics, but I said, I will never by your grace, by your power, put those things in my body again, ever. I promise you, dear Jesus, I will never, by your grace and your power, and by his grace and his power, that was 15 years ago. God's grace united with my persistent decision. Making persistent decisions for Jesus is imperative, brothers and sisters. It is important, yes, we listen to the Holy Spirit. He provides us with the power. He provides us with the grace, but we must make the decision. We cannot say, oh, well, when the Lord is ready, when, when he's ready, he'll convict me on such and such. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you, we must make the decision. We must make a persistent decision to keep his promises. And guess what? He is faithful. He is faithful and he will give us the power to overcome. No man having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Only by the grace of God. United with what? United with what, guys? Our persistent efforts, again, by the power of his grace, as we learned last night, can we become overcomer, conqueror of our will. And what I found in this process, as I was giving my life to Jesus, wholeheartedly giving him my life, I found resolution of my depression. Brothers and sisters, I am happy to tell you, I took my Prozac and threw it in the trash can. Amen. 
Jesus did that for me. Jesus did it for me, and Jesus can do it for you. I had resolution of my grades. I went from barely getting through first quarter or whatever it was of our, our medical school to having excellent grades by the end of the fourth year, by God's grace. If we think, this is another thing, though, if we think we've attained my fourth year of medical school, I began to think a little bit proudly, oh, look what God has done for me. Too bad Johnny over there isn't getting the picture, right? Too bad Mary's not getting the picture. I wish I could teach them a little something. If we, have, if we think we've attained, we have something to what? We have something to learn. We have eternity to learn. Look at this man. He's at the top of what he thought was the top of the mountain. But guess what? There's a mountain still to go. And there's a mountain above that. Jesus says, come up higher. Come up higher. Be holy. Holier still. The path of the righteous is as the light of dawn that what? that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Brothers and sisters, are we about to see Jesus come back in the clouds? Are we? Do we believe it with all of our hearts? We are going to see Jesus soon, very soon, and we have the ability to begin to shine and shine brighter and brighter to the perfect day by his grace and his transformation in our lives, putting on the armor of God. We need constantly a fresh revelation of Christ, a daily experience that harmonizes with his teachings. High and holy attainments are within our reach. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is calling us in gospel workers, come up higher, be holy, holier still. Every day may we, we may advance in perfection of Christian character. It's a blessedness. It's a beauty. Again, transformation from where? From the inside out. It doesn't happen externally. I don't say one day, oh, I mean, I can say it, but I'm, I'm going to go back to my, where did I go? I'm going to go back to my mire. I'm going to go swimming in the, the pig feces, right? If we don't have Jesus in our heart, we can't do anything. We cannot do anything but with Jesus in our heart. He transforms us from the inside out, and his beauty becomes our beauty. I began to think, you know, I'm decking myself out with all these things to make myself beautiful. And I began to read in Peter things such as this, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the plating of hair and the wearing of gold and the putting on of apparel, but let it be Jesus in my heart. My gold, my desire should be Jesus in my heart. The ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of what? Great price. There's no price that can be paid for that. And I remember I was sitting in front of, again, this is, this is a conversion process. This is a, this is a process step by step to Jesus. And I remember I was in the bathroom one Sabbath because Sabbath was my day to get decked out, right? Because I'm going to church all week long. I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, but all week long we're, you know, working, working, working hard, hard, hard. And so come Sabbath, I was going to deck out. And I remember I was standing there in front of the mirror and the thought came to me, I want to take you from the world's view of gorgeous to simply beautiful for me. Hmm. I thought, well, that's kind of a strange thought. But it was such a beautiful thought. And step by step with Jesus, 
that became my desire as well. Truths of the beauty of a healthy life, fruits, grains, nuts, and vegetables, as he taught us in the Garden of Eden, beautiful truths. He wishes to keep teaching us for eternity. Brothers and sisters, these are pearls. These are the pearls of great price that Jesus is wishing to teach us. And it didn't just end there. Coming back to medical missionary work, with each new surrender of my life, Jesus would sort of uh, give me evidence that the path was right, that the path was good. I had more and more opportunities to share him. I would be in a grocery store and someone would come up and say, who are you? What do you believe in? It was like Jesus was saying, continue to follow me. Continue to follow me. I was in internship and my um, Armenian professor, again, sitting way far away from me, said to me, Lewis, and that's what we say in medical school, and not in medical school, but in, in medicine, we often call each other by our last names. Lewis, he said, who are you? Why don't you wear, a, he asked me about you know, a specific ring and this and that. And I said, because I had the opportunity to share with him that I have Jesus in my heart and I don't need those things. I have God with, within me by his great and his power. Brothers and sisters, Seventh-day Adventists, Jesus is calling us to something higher be holy, holier still, a peculiar people. What? Eager to follow the master. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purifying unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And when the world sees this, brothers and sisters, they want it too. Just as I saw in Chris something that I wanted, I will tell you in the next few lectures, when the mayor's office has seen things that has taken place within the Seventh-day Adventist church by our example, they want it too. When the media sees stuff that takes place as a peculiar people, zealous of good works, they want it too. It is amazing. Jesus' transformation from the inside out. Again, step by step with Jesus. None of us has attained. We have something to learn if we think we have. But it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to share Jesus. It's a difficult path, but the rewards are what? They're out of this world. They're eternal. They're absolutely eternal. Will you become a living testimony? How many of you want to become a living testimony for Jesus to those around you? Do you want to be a living testimony? Do you want to have Jesus in your heart so that those around you can say, I want what she has. I want what he has. There has to be more. And you can be that individual that turns the world upside down for Jesus, a committed person living your life for Jesus. Again, we have learned trust, pray, and obey. Persevere by his power. Unite the message of the gospel with the medical missionary work over and over and over we see. But my question for you is, are you willing to surrender all for Jesus? Is this your prayer? Is this your plea? Jesus is coming back very soon, and he's asking us, are we willing to surrender everything for him? I'm going to ask Elder McIntosh to come up and have a closing prayer for this section, and we're going to go into the next one. But I would ask you to ask yourself if your desire is to share Christ with those around you and you're willing to surrender all for Jesus, I can guarantee it, you will not be disappointed. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you 
for this testimony of a life that you've touched and uh, that you're working in through the inside out. Lord, we want to have that experience. It's really the foundation of any kind of ministry, especially health ministry. Give us that uh, trust in you. Give us that perseverance. We desire to surrender all. We thank you. We come in Christ's name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.